0: for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We're going to continue on in our series on guarding the deposit guarding the gospel that has been entrusted to us. Those are key points and we keep making them. It's not something we make up. It's not something we create. It's not something that we tweak. It's something given to us. It is a deposit that has been made by God to us, the church. And we're to guard it. And so what we're looking at in those days of how to guard it, how to guard what one person says, this deposit that leads to life. It's it's important to guard it because it is about life and death. Spiritual life and spiritual death. It is about eternity. And to get it wrong affects eternity. And so we must guard it. We we as a church must take this deposit and treat it as we ought to treat it. And we've talked about various ways that uh, that we will guard it. And we're going to Begin to look at that and lay that out this morning, but remember last week. Last week, we made the point, in fact, the last two weeks, that you will not guard what you do not treasure. Or at least the attempt to guard it will be to the equal with how much you treasure it. That's incredibly important. People who start messing around with spiritual things But they're not a treasure to them. That creates disastrous consequences. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. But the most important thing, the the place we have to begin, is that we have to treasure this. You have to ask in your life, do I treasure this gospel? The church needs to treasure it. Individuals make up the church so they must treasure it. They must continually treasure it. We must know what it means to be a saved sinner, because that's really the the caption over this gospel. You see it there in verse 15. Look, look what it says. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. You you've got to be able to say that, and say it with more than just words, but with passion. However passion looks for you, whatever temperament you have, you must hold that statement with passion and speak it with passion. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst sinner I know. And you are the worst sinner you know because you really only know yourself. Do you know the intricacies of your heart? Do you know that your heart is like an onion that you just keep peeling off and you, you just see more and more you're, you're a saved sinner? You, you keep looking at your heart. You keep asking, what's going on in my heart? You, you, you move from surface stuff to get deeper and deeper and deeper. You, you understand sin is not a matter of what we do It's a matter of the motive behind what we do. That's really where the sin lies. And so God is is causing us, I hope more and more as a a church, what's going on in my heart? What is going on? Where did that come from? A saved sinner. Well, today's text... um, Helps us to begin to see some of the concerns, some of the out. Really, basically, in today's text, I'm going to give you my outline for the series, which is going to be First and Second Timothy and Titus. We're not just going to go from beginning to end, as I said. Um, we're going to move around a little bit in that, and it's going to have four different areas we're going to look at. Um, I think there are four things that pop up in this text, and I'll try to show those to you this morning. Four areas that pop up of of why churches get derailed, what derails churches, and why Paul said to Timothy, go. Go to Ephesus. He didn't want the derailment to happen. He saw some things occurring and he wanted Peter or he wanted Timothy to keep the train on the track. Don't let it get derailed. He addresses four things. First of all, poor leadership. Poor leadership derails in trusting, or in derails treasuring the gospel and, and guarding the deposit. It, it derails it. Bad teaching. Certainly, that's an obvious thing. Bad teaching derails um, the deposit. It, it gets it off track because obviously it changes. It's not something as seen as entrusted, given to us, but we, we tweak it. We change it. We modernize it, however you want to put it. That's not to be done. And it's done by bad teaching. Thirdly, a distorted mission. Uh, if a if a church gets their mission wrong, they end up end up not not guarding the, the gospel like they should. And fourthly, um, on ungodly lives, ungodly lives of church people causes the, the the deposit not to be protected like it should. So those four areas: poor leadership, bad teaching, um, wrong vision, distorted mission, and Ungodly lives. So those are the four things that my goal this morning is to just kind of pull those out, pull those out of the text, so you get the outline, you get the basic framework of where we're headed in this series. Turn with me to Acts chapter twenty. We we alluded to this as we began the series, but it's important to go back there. I want I want to just read this this morning. I want to read beginning at verse seventeen to thirty-one. Here is Paul in the book of Acts at Ephesus as the church was begun at Ephesus. And by the way, remember Ephesus was a very intellectual city, a very wealthy city, uh, a very strategic city. All of those things were true of Ephesus. And, and Paul here, this is just his, his farewell to the church that he had planted here now at Ephesus. I just want to read it. Just, just listen, listen to it or read along with me as I read out of the ESV. Just listen to the context now. Paul leaving Ephesus... And then later now he will send Timothy back to this church. But this was what it was like when Paul first left it. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. This is Paul asking them to come to him. And when they came to him, this is what he said. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the last, from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Again, back to the gospel. And now behold, I know that... None of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, and here, here comes the warning. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I have not, uh, have not shrank from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, remember the context. He called who together? He called the elders together, the overseers together, the leaders of the church together. And then he says this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. You can just feel the passion, can't you? But Paul knew. He knew. He knew that after he leaves that there will rise among them. He, just, he knows the hearts of people and, and somehow knew that there was going to be the problems that he's now addressing. The problems that we now have in Timothy, 1 Timothy specifically, were the things he was talking about here. So, let's jump in. Four, four, four things. Four things that will derail a church in guarding the gospel. First of all, bad leadership. Bad leadership. You cannot escape in First and Second Timothy and Titus that Paul talks a lot about leadership. If you want to know about leadership in the church, read those books, digest those books, because Paul knew that the primary problem is bad leadership. That's why he called the elders together. Why he warned them, even from among your ranks, even from among your ranks. Some will rise up. And as you look at 1 Timothy, it says, this is what he, he urges in verse 3, And I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Who are those certain persons? They were elders. They were elders. They were these people. Leaders. Leaders who'd gone bad. Alistair Begg, in his... Commentary on these epistles says that all problems in the church can be traced back to bad or poor leadership. All problems. All problems can be traced back to bad or poor leadership. It's a pretty strong statement, but I think he's right. He's right. Poor leadership. Leadership must stay strong as a church grows one of the things that I believe strongly about the church is that the church is made up of people at all levels of spirituality. You don't have to reach a certain level of spirituality to to join the church. Or you shouldn't. The church is made up of all who profess Christ. All who profess Christ. That's that's the prerequisite to come into the church. to make profession of faith in Christ. And certainly there's there's some kind of examination that that's done rather than just lip service. But, but the, the prerequisite, when you determine that somebody is professing Christ and as much as you know is genuinely professing Christ, that's the prerequisite to come into the church. That's, that's the biblical model. So you get lots of people at lots of different spiritual stages of growth, spiritually, who come into a local church here, who come. And and churches churches have troubles because of that, because there are people at all different places. Church is messy in one sense in that degree because people are at different spiritual levels and they're growing. And and I'm not sure that's supposed to be any different way. How can you make that any different when they come at different places spiritually? But, But the place where you have to control that is at the leadership level for a church to say, they, it can be messy at the grassroots, but if it gets messy at the leadership level, then you've got real problem. And so the, it talks a lot about qualifications of leadership. And we'll talk about some of those. We'll spend some time talking about those. Qualifications of elders. Paul, Timothy was to go and appoint elders. So what, what, are those, what are those elders to look like? Let me just give you a little taste of this a little taste of where we'll go more fully later but but what does good leadership look like if if all of the problems are traced to bad leaders what are some ways that good leadership looks i think one thing is good leaders shepherd good leaders shepherd paul was a good leader because he admonished them for 2 years with what tears he cared about the people it was about the people it was about the flock he wasn't a hireling. He didn't run away when things got hard. He stuck in there at the hardest times because of his love for the people. They, he agonized over them. And and one of the things a good shepherd, a person who is a good leader who is a shepherd, is, is leaders need to be the kind of people who see things coming. They, they they see things coming, so the the sheep don't see it. Always. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they'll see it, but... But it's, it's not for the sheep to see it. It's for the sheep to make sure the shepherd sees it. The shepherd has to see it and see it and, and steer them directions. And so leadership is about direction, leadership is about steering, leadership is about looking ahead and, and seeing dangers and dealing with that. I, I, I shared with you this issue of leadership as I've, as I've been in these books. I mean, there's, I've been in ministry now for 35 years, and stuff comes and goes. I mean, there's stuff comes and goes. I mean, 35 years ago, they were talking about bus ministries, and everybody had ch- church buses, and and were running buses, and the more buses you had, the better it was going. And and so leadership has that should we do buses? Should and all the way through, there's all kinds of stuff. Today, you go from buses to multi-siting. Should you should you meet in more locations than one? And 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 send it by video someplace else so you don't have to build a bigger building. You fill up your building, why keep building big buildings? Let's just find another site and simulcast or however. There's all kinds of stuff like that through through the years of ministry I've seen that happen. So, so how do you determine, is, is that what should be done? I, I mean, that's just one, one example of that. I think you, the Bible doesn't tell you Bible doesn't say thou shalt have buses or not buses. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt multisite and thou shalt not multisite. So what do you do? I think, God, you raise up godly leaders who know who you are and love the people and love the gospel and, and collectively they discern that. They discern what God is doing and where he's leading. and It's the biblical model of how you do that. That's why it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. This is, I see this happening. Somebody does something and and God seems to bless it and they have uh, fruit from that. And then everybody tries to copy it. Everybody tries to, to duplicate it. And and what happens often is everybody says, well, that just had to be absolutely, totally wrong. It, it all had to be wrong. It, it It was wrong in the beginning and it just kept being wrong. Well, I don't think that's the case always. I think... I think in the beginning it may have been right because godly men, under the under the, the direction of the Holy Spirit, discerned it for that look. But what happens is when everybody tries to copy it, and do the exact same thing someplace else because it was successful here or seemingly successful. Now sometimes it's it's it is wrong totally, but sometimes it's not. But but I see the multiplication effect that they try to duplicate it and. I, I just don't think that's the biblical model. The, the biblical model is you discern for your own body. You don't just do it because somebody else did it and had fruit. Now, you, it, it might be what you should do, but it might not. And so you, you raise up biblical leaders or, uh, or godly leaders who are 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 full of Bible, full of truth. And, and together you discern what's right and what's wrong. The example is worship stuff. I mean, worship stuff. What's right and what's wrong? I mean, hymns or no hymns, or, or what instruments you use. I mean, where does the Bible say anything about that? So how do you discern it? How do you work through that? How do you, how do you dis- Again, same way. Same way. So, godly leaders who shepherd. Uh, and shepherd for the long haul. That's, that's a key. Um, look at what it says. It says, I urge you when I went to, go, was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Now, why would Paul tell him to remain? <laughs> well, do you know a little bit about Timothy? Timothy was timid. Timothy had a, had a makeup that probably the reason he said remain is because Timothy was, was uh, maybe advocating leaving. You can have to read between that, that somehow maybe Timothy was wavering. And Paul said, remain at Ephesus. Remain. There's something about sticking with it. There's something about, about, about leaders who, who, when it's hard, they don't quit. They don't run away. They don't hide. They don't cower. They, they stay for the long haul in the sense of in the midst of what's going on. Come and go stuff isn't, isn't very helpful. I, I look back on, on my ministry here at Richland over the years and, and I can tell you there, there have been times when I, I could look ahead and I could think, something we have to deal with here, it would be easier to leave than stay. I mean, I, it would be easier to leave than stay. And, and God, we have to, we have to, we have to discern, it, it, am I running for the wrong reason. Because you can run for the wrong reason. You can, run, you can leave for the right reasons. It doesn't mean we don't ever leave. But, but leaders who have a perseverance about them for the long haul, for the good of the body. Long haul. Long look. They also need to be able to teach. Now, we'll talk about this more. One of the qualifications you will find of an elder is able to teach. Now, what's that mean? Does that mean they're, they can wow a crowd? or they can keep a crowd's attention, it's partly that. But, but I think what it really is talking about is you just know truth. You know it. You, you, you know the issues. You, you have them in your mind. You're not, you're not ignorant of the issues. You, you understand biblically how to look at things and, and have, a, have a, a good wide view of that. I think that's why the Bible says that, that leaders should not be new believers. One of the reasons, certainly it talks about it can lead to pride, but one of the reasons is you just don't know enough yet. You haven't been around enough. You don't know the issues enough. Now, some people are quicker learners than others, so you can't put a definitive number of years on that, young believer. But but I, it was incredibly dangerous for you to let me come and pastor this church 33 years ago. uh huh I came to Christ. Get, this is the time frame. I came to Christ when I was 18 years old. I went off to, to, to Bible school for four years. Went off for a couple of years as a youth pastor and then I was here. I was I was pretty young here. I was 25 years old. I didn't have all the perspective I needed to have. I, I didn't know all the dangers that lie out there. By God's grace and you and your love to me and we worked through that and you were patient with me and helped me and I had good leaders. But it's, it's, you need to be careful. One of the most riveting things I recently heard that just brought me up short after 30 some years of ministry was, was a pastor who had been at a church over the long haul, over a number of years. And it it, it was a fruitful church and a growing church, and people came to know Christ, and there were good things that happened. And from all appearances, things were really good. And he left. And after he left, things just blew apart. The church just blew apart. And he agonized over that because he was a shepherd, because of his heart. And he, and he, he asked, Why? 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 I tried to tell them the truth. I tried to tell them the truth. And and he came to this conclusion himself. The conclusion was this, that I told them what to believe, but I didn't tell them what not to believe. I told them what to believe, but I didn't tell them what not to believe. We, We need leaders who know what to believe and what not to believe. It's incredibly must have a big picture view. It's this kind of thing, that leaders know the difference between central issues and circumference issues as well. A good leader knows the difference between a central issue, a core issue, and a circumference issue. They know the difference between those. They know which one is worth fighting over and which one isn't in the right sense of the word fighting. In the sense of contending for. Now we have other qualifications about leaders that they're not to be quarrelsome and all of that. And so I'm not talking about fist fights. But I'm talking about fighting in the right sense of the word fighting. Contending for. They know the difference. They know which issues. And, and one of the things I think that causes all kinds of havoc in, in churches, one of the places they get derailed is they get a circumference issue and they make it central. And that does all kinds of damage. All kinds of damage. Another was helpful as I was looking at all this, and I can see right now. I'm probably not going to get all the way through this morning, so let me let me slow down a bit here because this is important when we're talking about about leadership. Um, a couple of a couple of errors that happen in in um, teaching. Now we're not just point two yet, but it has application to point two, a bad teaching. But a couple a couple of things that happen in churches. Churches can fall off the fall into the ditch on one of two sides. They can fall off in the ditch on legalism, and we've talked a lot about that as we preach through Galatians and some of those books, legalism. Um, or they can fall off in the ditch in liberalism. Legalism or liberalism, they can, they can get derailed by those two things. Let me, let me give you something that was really good for me. It comes from another. It's not original with me. But this is, this is the definition of legalism in that context, in that narrow context of, of falling in the ditch on one side and the other. It's this, that you, legalism is taking a preference, a method or a program, and making it central. Um, Christians use certain Bible translations, whatever one you want. I mean, in other words, real Christians use this version of the Bible. They're taking a preference and making it uh, central. Now, the other side of that coin is liberalism. The difference between legalism and liberalism is that liberalism is taking a fundamental of the faith and making it negotiable. For example, the death of Christ. The substitutionary atonement of Christ. So, uh, legalism, in this definition, is taking a preference, making it central. Liberalism is taking a fundamental, a central issue, and making it a preference, making it negotiable. Leaders understand those categories. Leaders understand them. They understand central and circumference. They they understand what it means to guard the gospel and to not get that all blurred up. There's a lots of blurring going on today in our world, lots of places, lots of battles being fought where they don't need to be fought. We need, we need to be careful. Uh, the, the third thing that um, I think leaders need to do and, and I'm going to finish with this, and then we'll, we'll pick it up next time Bad leadership has, has an inability to speak with a united message. Bad leadership has an inability to speak with a united message. Look at verse 3 here in the text. Look at verse 3. It says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. We'll get to point 2 next week, which is bad doctrine. But the point I want to make here is that Tim- Timothy who is a leader, who Paul chose as a leader here, and and what he was to do was to charge them to be intentional about this. Speak with a clear voice. This is not right. This cannot be. This cannot stand. Um, You have to be careful. You have to make sure you're not taking a a peripheral issue and making it central here and all of that, all of that said in that. But there's an idea of charging, of declaring. The leadership needs to have that kind of a an understanding of leading the church. There are times when they need to speak to issues and speak strongly to issues. Or direct in such ways that they make sure that errors are corrected. And the danger is sometimes Sometimes we, we don't have that. We are so much people pleasers. Sometimes leaders can be so much people pleasers that they don't think clearly. They don't think clearly about issues. They're so afraid of offending someone in this culture we live in that they don't speak when they ought to speak. Now, you can have the opposite, opposite side of that. We'll talk about that. There can be people who, who take joy in offending people they shouldn't be leaders either. Neither one of those ditches are where you want to land. And, and leaders ought not to be those kinds of people. But there is a place for a leader, a leader to sense danger and to cry out, this is dangerous. We will not go there. So, point one to think about this week. Point one. Point one. I hope you're reading. I hope you're reading these these epistles. I, I spend some time and just read them. Young person read first and second Timothy and Titus. they were written. Timothy was young. Read them, read them and see if if we 're not right that that leadership is number one. Leadership is number one in the ways that churches get off track we'll We'll amplify what what leaders look like much more fully as we get into the texts. But this is part one of the outline. Leadership, the second part of the outline, as I said, is, is, is bad doctrine. Uh, wrong mission is number three. And ungodly lives is number four. So we'll get to two, three, and four, Lord willing, next week. Matthew's going to come. And uh, we're going to close with singing this morning. and. Uh, We typically, when we have a series like this, have a song that we just bring into the mix as we close with. I think there's no better song than the one that we've chosen here for this series, which talks about treasuring the gospel. All that I say, all that I say goes back to that. The first requirement of any leader is that he treasures the deposit because He's experienced it. I hope that's where your heart is this morning. Let's stand and sing.
2: The Mystery of the Cross The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend The agonies of Calvary You, the perfect holy one, crush your son. Drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. By a perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness know no end. Your blood. Has washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once you enemy now seated at your table once you enemy me now seated at your table. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you.
1: Let's pray together. Father, we just pray that you'll help us. Help us to not get derailed as a body. I pray, Father, that we will wrestle with these texts and wrestle with what um, Paul said to Timothy and to Titus for the sake of guarding the gospel here at Richland. The gospel that saved us as sinners.